Hey everyone, Josh and Ryan here, and welcome back to the 2% Podcast. Research shows if you put 100 random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there'll be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you, week in, week out. 2% of a day is just half an hour, so thank you for taking 2% of your day to be educated and inspired by joining us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the two percenters. All right, welcome back everyone to the 2% podcast. We're still here with Graham, Graham David. We're going to jump straight into the word association game. So Graham, as we said, <laughs> we've got 10 words for you immediately right. back and let's see what comes okay. out. So first word, development. I, I guess I want to say peace, but it doesn't make any sense. Development peace, yeah. A piece of development, yeah. Okay, peace. Lovely. Peace. Youth. Quake. Vision. On. COVID. <laughs> 19. Skills. Set. Equipment. Failure. Leverage. Oh, a nice one. <laughs> uh, property. Leader. Follower. Education. It's not really one word, but it's Pink Floyd, as in we don't need no. <laughs> Negotiate. Or die. That's not really one word either, but uh, put die or death down if you prefer. Nice. Yeah, I mean, we're not, <laughs> we're, we're not straight. It's like, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, let's, uh, let's start with that even, because I think that's a good, a good place to start. It's something that you talk about a lot in your, in your videos. And I know that it's something that... Negotiate um, or die. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people might not know the sort of relationship yeah. there. So kind of, what's, what's your thinking? Uh, with negotiation. Okay, so um, when I was first making TikToks to try and figure out what my TikToks were going to be about, I did a video and I simply said... Next time you're in a shop, um, and I, I told a story, something I'd done when I, I bought a, it was a dishwasher, a, a washing machine, washing machine it was. And I told the story about asking for a discount, right? And the guy kind of went, we don't do discounts, we price match. And I said, it's an absolutely true story. I know you price match. And what I'm asking is what discount can you give me? And this went back two or three times. It's all very polite, as genial as I'm explaining it now. And the guy went, oh, I'll see, see what I can do. And he came back and said, we're prepared to give you 25 pounds. And I remember thinking, that's brilliant. So your price match and you told me no. And all I said was please several times. And you went, yeah, I'm 25 pounds off. And I simply made a video about it. Right. And to this day, four months on, it's still one of my top nine trending videos. It just keeps coming back. It won't go away. Mm. And then I did a follow up to it because loads of people piled up and said, you can't negotiate. You shouldn't negotiate. You must never negotiate in shop. It's not <laughs> like this. It's like, yeah. what's the matter with you people? All I'm saying is here's how to say oh, 25 quid. What's the point, mate? You're a mug. So it took me five minutes. Why wouldn't I do that? Mm. And that was, that was 25 years ago when 25 quid's a lot of money. It's a lot of money now, let's be honest. And um, all, all I've been doing, and it's been such a successful video, and I've made a few since on negotiation, whether for business, whether for shops, whatever else. The simplest thing to do is just go, what's the better price you can give me? Or you know, I'm looking for a bit of a discount. Or perhaps you can help me. Whatever, however you want to word it. And I reckon of all the times I've asked, I probably get a yes more than half the time. And the question I've got to ask you is if you don't like the idea of negotiating, I get that. If you find it awkward and embarrassing, I get that. But if you're going to make out it's not worth it, I don't believe you. I think you're making excuses because you're embarrassed about it. That's what it is. 
yeah. you, you don't feel comfortable saying, can I have some money off in case you say no. Yeah. So negotiate or die. Why wouldn't you negotiate? I get asked for discounts. It's not a problem. I ask for discounts. It's not a problem. It's just the way it is. Yeah, that's the market. And I guess what, what you've hit on is, is what I would say it probably is. It's that sort of insecurity around of it is. C- c- consumption, right? Like you're, you get given a price. That's what you pay. That's what you've done certainly a lot of the time until you realize that you've never really questioned the price of products before. And you're like, oh, okay, I could ask for something or I don't have to wait until there's a red flag next to it to tell me that there's a, a 10% off because actually businesses just inflate their prices to discount them down again later. Anyway, that's often how it works. I think, look, I think some businesses do. I mean, I never have because I deal with professional buyers. Yeah. So sometimes people ask me for discounts. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes I can give discount. Sometimes I can't. Yeah. But that was the follow on video, which is if you say to me, I want to pay less, that's absolutely fine. I've then got to figure out what I can take out of my offer. Because all the bits that I do are priced. Yeah. Or if you go, I don't want 10 of these, I want 100 of them, you've got every right to ask for a better price. Yeah. And a lot of us don't figure that. It's okay in a market, but I wouldn't dare do it in the shops. Mm. Why not? And the other thing that's so interesting is, um, and I, I, I get probably one of these a day, maybe two a day. All right, smart ass. So would you do this in Waitrose? What, what's, what's that possibly got to do with anything? <laughs> If I would ask for a discount here, but I wouldn't there, why does that prove that that doesn't work? Mm. Negotiate or die. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, nice. That could be a book title. That yeah. could be a book title. Oh, keep yeah, it, keep it. Die. Just give us a credit. Just keep it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the next one I'll, I'll pick up on before, I'm sure Josh will come in as well. Uh, it's around youth and quake. Quake. Uh, I don't know. I vaguely, remember, <laughs> I vaguely remember probably 80s or 90s, some kind of might have been a tv show or a, a it was one of these kind of kids are all right type shows mm. i think i don't know i might be making up youth quake um i think it comes from the argument that uh, every younger generation always believes it's invented everything including sex and every younger generation believes the previous generations are completely wrong and immoral and whatever else there might be an element of truth in that but it is just what it is but I think it's probably useful for us all to remember that um, other people do stuff often for good reasons. Um, we can't just come along at any new generation and demand everything else previously gets changed for us. This has suddenly become quite political, hasn't it? I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, no, it's interesting. That might be what it is. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's almost the reverse of where I thought you might be going in the sense that I think there's a lot of focus around Gen Z at the moment and around, you know, the, the kind of youth activism that we're seeing that's not unprecedented, but we're seeing it at incredible levels for certain in that young people do, you know, digital natives, this and that. Kind of, it's, it's all banded around in that, you know, yeah. we are we are the future in that sense and and often that is framed very positively but i think there is that that element too that that, that you're right around in that, that that doesn't come at the expense of other generations and i th- think there I is think a side a, of that yeah i think that's true and i think it's very i mean uh pre-gen z is 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 millennials right and, and snowflakes the slightly insulting <laughs> version of um and and uh, you know i think there's an interesting part of that which is actually if you look at some of the things that, at least a Gen Z, but say millennials, um, if, you, if you look at some of the things that they are supposed to be interested in, they're entirely reasonable. Like, I'd like some regular feedback, right? Yeah. Previous to where we are now digitally, you typically at work get one or two bits of feedback a year for how you're doing. 
Yeah. Now, there's no real reason for that to still be the situation. Nobody likes doing them. They're time consuming and they're not really very efficient. So actually the Gen Z version or the, or the millennial version of, well, I can open my app at any point and get an instant real-time feedback of how I'm doing is probably a reasonable expectation for work. The offset of that, of course, is that every generation's had things that protest about. In 1988, I went to London and marched against the, um, I think it was the tail end then of the Thatcher governments because they were just about to introduce loans to students because I just about escaped loans for students. So my overdraft at the end of three years at university was a thousand pounds. Now it's slightly higher than that these days, I understand for, for new graduates. <laughs> slightly. My slightly. Yeah. My point <laughs> might be that when I went along with the 50,000 people, how many of us there were from that, we all absolutely believed we were doing something dead important. And I think it was important probably that I went and did that, but it didn't change anything. The government still did what it was going to do and it's continued to do it ever since. So mm. I suppose there's a slight, um, without saying like a cynical old what's it here, there's an element of, well, you know, get some of this into balance. Kind of the, the, yes, that's a really big answer for you. Kind of yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that kind of longer term perspective. I think so, yes, sure. yeah. And um, yeah, and for, for the graduates out there, you can log on to check your student loan balance on gov.uk. If you are facing a, a hard time and want to make it even worse, then just log on and have a look at a very fat number. Um, <laughs> yeah, Josh, Josh, do you want to bring in on, on any other words? Yeah, for sure. The, the one that I'll um, pick up on is equipment and failure because I'm, I'm very intrigued by what the, the link is there. <laughs> All right, so when I started training... Um, PowerPoint was just becoming the norm. And actually, the old acetates, you know, the bits of plastic you write on with a pen and put over the overhead projector, there were lots of trainers still using that. And I didn't have any of the money. I didn't have money to buy a kit. Um, and I built my first website in 87, 88. It was bloody awful, but it, 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 I built it. And I think one of the things that happens a lot for trainers, live trainers, is equipment failure. I think what happens in our current world is we have problems logging into Zoom, we have problems logging into Teams, or we have connection problems. And I think that those are always given as excuses for why something isn't the right answer. But they are spurious. This is the way now that more and more people are communicating. This is the way more and more of us are going to work. And this is the way that more and more of us are working in M&D. So equipment failure, is, I think, is a short-term excuse. At the start of the lockdown, it was all... I can't work from home. It's difficult. Um, I don't have the kit. I don't have the room. And I accept all that, but it's a short-term problem. And, and, and I want to see, um, you know, I suppose I want to see some companies starting to go, all right, well, if we're going to stop using our offices, we'll save so much money. We're going to dosh some of that out to our, our workers because it will be a fractional cost compared to bringing them into an office. It's things like that. Mm. I, think, I think as humans, we have a habit of blaming equipment failure rather than thinking okay it's a problem now but it will be fixed yeah that's definitely something i don't do when josh is uh making a point i don't like <laughs> oh, wi-fi is breaking up um sorry <laughs> yeah yeah i've frozen and then just freeze and, and hope he uh, ignores it but yeah <laughs> i'm gonna gonna come in on um the education point i think as well okay um you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Pink Floyd, you mentioned <laughs> don't need education. Yes. Um, 
is that a point around just the internet? You can access everything for free. Kind of that point you mentioned earlier. What's the sort of connection? I don't think there was a connection, but if I'm thinking about it now, um, quite apart from being a, a great album, which if you haven't listened, you really ought to. Um, I think, I think I would like to see education. I mean, L&D, my sector, I think, has been up to 30 years behind where it should be. I think education sometimes finds itself in a similar situation. I think it needs to make itself more relevant very, very fast. I think universities are going to face a massive shortfall because of the way that they get funded and the way that they teach. And I think currently their offer appears to be, hey, why don't you pay us a full whack that you'd normally be paying for education only it's mostly going to be on zoom that seems like a fairly extraordinary offer and i'm not surprised if we see more and more people go do you know what uh no um a lot a lot of university is expensive but historically there are reasons for that i think if you go before university schools and colleges need to get more with the modern age um this has always been the case, by the way. It's not, it's, not, it's not a recent thing. This has always been the case. I think I was a lecturer for five years and there were lecturers who were, and you'll remember this, right? You'll remember teachers and lecturers who were outstanding off the scale, but you can only remember one or two of them. Yeah. And you'll remember a whole sludge of lecturers and teachers that are right down the bottom. Absolute, what are you doing here? How, did, how are you still employed? <laughs> and then there's a no vast, comment. yeah. And then there's a vast array of people in the middle <laughs> who they're kind of okay, but nothing special. That's probably the same profile for most businesses. Except teachers don't get fired. They don't, they don't, I mean, very, mm. very rarely they get, they, do they get fired. And the problem is it, it feels to me like a lot of education's in stasis. And, you know, we need to be, do we still need, <coughs> excuse me, do we still need as many degrees as we have currently? And it's a nice thing to have, but increasingly businesses say, well, we'd like more apprentices. So we need more apprenticeships, right, to be created. We need that to be working better. Um, is education, I, I think education is brilliant. I don't sound like I'm bad-mouthing. I'm not, I think education is brilliant. It's an absolute privilege. It's, it should be absolutely embraced when we have every opportunity. Despite mm. saying we don't need no education. We, we absolutely should be embraced. But that doesn't mean it can't be improved. No, <coughs> definitely. It more relevant, more more now, more more linked up to work as well. And how do we create things? And, and do you think part of that sort of modern education is what you're trying to tap into with the the TikTok um, things that you do? I mean, I'm intrigued by that. Like, how do you? What, Jeff, have you found it difficult to boil down, you know, 25 years of experience into 60, 15 second TikToks, for example, to, <laughs> to edu educate the youth? So. Um... The reason I started doing TikTok was I figured there might be a whole new audience here that I might be able to do business with at some point down the line. <clears throat> now, as well as calling out live education versus online education wrong for 25 years, as in you'll never do it online, I've also not been totally right about social media. So I've spent 11 years going, social media is rubbish. No one uses social media apart from people wasting their time. It's a millennial thing. It's rubbish. Turns out I was wrong because social media is quite <laughs> popular. So last summer I started using LinkedIn. Now most people know LinkedIn, a very professional networking platform and brilliant. But like most social media, you have to learn how to use it. So TikTok has been just the same for me. I've had to relearn some ways that I do things. So engagement, for example, is very important. We know that from social media, but it's very important on TikTok. 
I've chosen to follow some of the established sense of TikTok, as in um, they've got to be quite provocative questions. They've got to be to the point. You've got to try and engage with people. I've chosen to ignore some of it. So there's a lot on TikTok about jumping on the trends or making, making your videos eight to 15 seconds long, which I completely ignore because I can't boil, boil it down to eight to 15 seconds. I can do, but it'd be so trite, it's meaningless. And then it's, what am I actually looking to do? Am I looking to get followers or am I actually looking to build a profile of people that are really interested in this? That's what I'm trying to do. So I wouldn't say I found it difficult. I don't think I've got everything right. Got loads of stuff wrong, but it is what it is. And do you see that then as a business in itself or is it just personal brand building for the long term? I'm, I'm not interested in personal brand building. Um, I'm interested in it as a business. So for me, what I'm, what I've been building on TikTok for four months is my fifth business. So that is what I'd identify as business mentoring and business coaching. Now I've offered that kind of service for a long time via places like LinkedIn and through my main training company. But this was at the start of the lockdown. So I started using TikTok for the first time in, I think, May, June, May, I think. And I spent the first two, three weeks making magic videos and lip syncing to songs I didn't know because I thought that's what you had to do. And then late May, early June, I started making videos that are more about what I do. That was the point I thought, this is who I'm trying to find. And when people started coming back saying, oh, I like, I like that idea about asking for discounts or I like that idea about asking for a, a, a pay raise. That was what made sense as opposed to what I'm, what I'm looking to do. Do I get paid from that or do I have some plans to make money for that or how does that monetize? Yeah, I hope that will monetize. But at the moment, I'm still in that growing a profile, a growing a brand, so that as and when I am in a position to do that, I then have a decent sized audience. Yeah, for sure. So I guess it, the, the end result is to get that TikTok account as almost a sales funnel for your mentoring business. Is that right? I think sales funnels is a slightly more brutal way of seeing it. I think, is it, is it a sales funnel? Or like a lead magnet, maybe. I no, I, no I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not just sort of, I'm not just sort of dancing around the, the words or the, the phrasing for it. I, I guess ultimately it is a funnel or a lead magnet, but, but I think, I think the building of the profile and the brand is as important. And the reason I think that is um, I've had a very long time in my training company to build who I am and what I do. So people that buy me and us know what it is. This is a different market. Uh, this is people, normal everyday people like you and me, not companies. And therefore I've got to start from zero. So I started with a, with an empty YouTube account and an empty TikTok account. It's like, okay, just me giving some advice some ideas what can i do if that then builds to youtube and youtube gets big enough to be monetized and then that beats builds to okay i'm going to do a live session on zoom for two hours here's where you buy it great but at the moment i think it's it's what i like to call sweat equity it's all the work to try and build something yeah i see that it's kind of building that brand equity to then cash it in later down the line it doesn't really matter how it's something that you've built that you can then think about funneling through to YouTube and then that, that would be monetized through the ads that you, you then run on that channel. It might be that TikTok live, I, I think that might be linked to the, the creator fund in some way that if people can gift you or something, you know, there's different people, ways to monetize. Yeah. Those. I mean, pe people have gifted me um, a few times. I've, I've never, I've, I mean, you, you'll see people say things like follow me, the top three, whoever's or top three mm. gifters will get a, um, a profile check or they'll yeah. get a shout out or whatever. 
I'm not going down that route because that, um, I mean, I'm not being in any way judgmental, disrespectful of them. That's just not what I want to offer. What I want to find is an audience of people that inherently like what I'm doing and offering. They like the way I do it. I'm aware that there are hundreds and thousands of people that offer a similar idea. And this is my version of mine. So for people that come along and like my stuff, brilliant. Some of those people choose to drop a gift, but I mean, you know, they start at 30p or something. So uh, that's not going to be any large exit anytime soon. The creator fund, likewise, that, that makes a small amount of money each day. But, but for me, those are almost, um, they're distractions. So, if I, I, you know, I'm trying to keep it. Do you remember that line in the social network when um, they're talking to Mark Zuckerberg about how to, how to monetize Facebook? And he says, you don't get it. What we've got at the moment is cool. And if we try and monetize it, it won't be cool. We yeah, don't yeah. know what we've got yet. And, and, I, and I've, I've kept that in mind throughout. So I've not put an affiliate link up. It'd be very easy for me to say, here's my affiliate link. If you like my stuff, please click it. But I've got, that's nothing to do with me. Yeah. So, yeah. It's I like think finding it's, things that align, I suppose. And, and that there isn't a one thing there right now. And so you're just sort of building that profile. And like you say, it's sweat equity. There's nothing immediately in return for that. That's kind of that's what, right. what that that's means. Exa- yeah. That's exactly right. Again, which is always funny when some bloke goes, well, how much money are you making out of this? <laughs> yeah. so, uh, about yeah. 54p today, but you know, hey, fill your boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what would you say are the main kind of themes of content we've spoken around the discounting kind of business mentoring to this kind of broad umbrella right like what pieces Very, okay so my stuff on tiktok mm. my stuff on tiktok okay so the idea is this if you want to start a business grow a business or exit a business what can i do to help you with that what does that lead into okay so how do you market it better what about presenting online um I said earlier on people need to get better at presenting online because most are dreadful at it Right, and most people hate it. By the way, it's a top fear. You know, forget snakes, spiders, flying and dying. Number one fear is standing up in public and saying a few words. Made worse if there's a camera involved. So, can I help people with that? So, it's a bit of presentation. Uh, what about asking for a pay rise? What about getting an interview? Actually, what about interviewing somebody else? Negotiating, discounting. So, if you look at it on oh, saving money, all of those things are about whether it's working for somebody else or yourself whether it's making money or saving money, there's broadly speaking in that, that hub, a bit of a commercial focus on it. That's what the videos are all about. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I, I knew that, I mean, I've been following you for, for a little while, but yeah, kind of definitely adding value to, to our, our listenership here. I mean, when, when you mentioned the presentation skills there, I think that that is the key thing to pick up on next. Josh and I have had this a few times. I think it's the same thing. It's a case of just practicing, right? Like, before we hosted the podcast, I'd done a bit of public speaking, but I hadn't kind of done much. I was like 18 or yeah. 20, wherever we were. Um, but then once you practice something, once you do it more and more, you realize how you can adapt it because it's a skill. It's not something that's naturally born to you, which is probably the misconception. Do you find that as well? Absolutely brilliant point. Yeah, you're getting gold stars for this. Um, number one thing people say to me is, it's all right for you. So what's the right for you? Then they either go, you do interesting stuff. We have to talk about X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> or they go, you're like this. You say, oh, hang on. Okay. Let's get this straight. There is nothing remotely natural about presenting, right? It's a completely false setup environment. And the way I'd explain it is this. If you're no good at using Excel, but you need to use Excel for your job, you're either going to learn or you're going to pay somebody else to do it. 
because what you're not going to do is go to your boss and go, yeah, I couldn't do that work because I just don't really do Excel. But bizarrely, people are quite happy going, yeah, I can't present. It's just not me. I just, it's just not my way of working. And that, that's a nonsensical perspective. So yeah, doing it helps. Getting some input helps. The painful bit that nobody wants to consider is watching the video back of themselves or listening back to the podcast or watching the rerun because that's the bit that most people die a thousand deaths. But that's the best place you can learn. Sorry, so why do your training company, you mentioned how you sort of offered the ability to do the role play for them. Surely that part of that is them experiencing it on the spot, right? So why do you take over that role as that the professional actors? Because there's two parts to it. What I don't do is come and do everything for you. So for a start, we never say role play, we never say actors, and we never ever tell them we're going to have fun. That's the kiss of death. So what you do is you go, but in a traditional session, you go, all right, so we've been talking about um, difficult conversations. Rather than just talk about it, let's get into a case study. But rather than just read about the case study, let's watch one live right here for you right now. So that then happens in front of them. So that is effectively a piece of theatre, or now it's a piece of film. And you watch it, you go, oh, blimey, she's rubbish, oh, blimey, he's rude, whatever you do. The point is, you're able to talk about it from a slightly separate perspective and you've not had to get involved so you don't feel any threat there's still a type of manager who talks about people taking out of their comfort zone terrible way to learn you don't learn that way you want to feel comfortable so you're laughing and you're kind of into it then what happens you can talk to the characters now you're getting slowly pulled into it so we never tell you you're role playing what you're actually doing is role playing right because when you go oi Bob, why did you say that? It's going, what do you mean, why did I say it? I said it because it's what I thought. What's the problem? Right? All of a sudden, you're now dealing with a character. But we don't mm. tell you that. And as it moves along, we gradually, we kind of nudge you along into the situation where you go, right, you've now got to go and see Diane. Um, there's this particular situation. You don't need to role play. You don't have to act. You just be yourself. Does that kind of make sense? So it's, it's a gentle yeah, it staging moving you along. Yeah. If you just yeah. tell people they're going to role play, God, they're going to hate it. <laughs> okay, now I see. So that's sort of a more subtle approach to, to buying them into to what you're doing. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a gentle, just, it's an opportunity to practice the skills the way we, was used to, we, we used to word it. No, for sure. And I think we've asked you quite a few questions about um, training, but I know you're sort of just in general a very good entrepreneur in the service industry. So what would be your you know i think we've spoken a lot about change and you've jumped onto tiktok and um, zoom like you said you've embraced that what would you say to service providers that are struggling at the moment to you know get you know they want to go back to the old times like you said how would you advise them to, to embrace the new as it were i think i think there's a key thing that all of us have to face that most of us don't want to face so most of us that have got a successful business or side hustle or anything one day it's not going to work anymore and it's really obvious when you see shops crashing all around us as we have for a few years the world and his wife can look at it and go well it's obvious retail's dying because now, people in retail don't always want to face this but the reality is most of us know why we don't like going to shops if you don't well i appreciate some people do but most of us have figured that actually we can pick up a phone and order something and it'll be delivered the next day or even today Many people in service industries, or in fact industries generally, are still hoping for some return to normality. But what the, I believe, was just my opinion, 
the new economy is based around a bit of agility and it's based around absolute i mean nothing new in this but it's based around absolute focus on what the consumer and customer client wants now that might be a price difference as in lower but it might not be so it's more about if you're a coffee shop provider do you really want to work on your vastly reduced numbers or do you want to figure out a way to get coffee to where people want to drink it? Because if you can do that, even just in the short to medium term, you have a viable business. Now, all of those businesses based around big office blocks are struggling because there aren't enough people going by. So until they figure out that there's got to be a different way to make their offer to their customers and clients, they're going to continue to struggle. If you look on any of the major websites at the moment that sell businesses, you will see repeatedly cafe, uh, restaurants, holiday home, you'll see those, and shop, you'll see those same three or four sectors over and over and over because everyone's gone, it's just too difficult and bailing out. Mm. And, and like you say, this, this sort of listening to the customer um, approach has, has been around forever. It was drilled into us at university. But do, do you still see businesses neglecting that and not listening to what their customer wants? I think a lot of people neglect it and don't listen to what their customer wants because in some cases, um, your, your customer has no other option. So I've, I mean, I've, I've posted both on TikTok and LinkedIn about run-ins with telecom providers or energy providers that have taken, in some cases, hours and hours and hours with the, client, the, the, the phone still going due to the uh, unprecedented situation. Now, unprecedented was back in March. We're in September now. But those are, from my opinion, those are businesses not listening to their customers. They're working on the basis of you're still going to furnish, you're still going to come in through the chat room, you're still going to do this and you'll stay with us forever. But in part, it's because we have no other choices. Most of us in SMEs and little side hustles and small businesses, our customers have multiple other options for where they could go. And I think our task is, what can we give you in a way that you want when you want it? And if that means we're going to take a lot less money, how can we structure it so that we don't drop our income? That's what I've had to figure out. I think a lot of companies are in the same place. Mm. I'll finish up with, with one question before we go into the, the last section of the show. So yeah. kind of, we've spent a lot of time focusing on advice and practical sort of mentorship type focus. Based on your experience, you know, your wealth of experience, what would be the one takeaway for people starting out today in business to say, do this or don't do that? Like one takeaway. Is there anything that, that jumps out? Yeah. Um, start planning on your exit today. So uh, I was asked in my, in my early stages of my business, what's your exit plan? And I said, and I fully believed at the time, I can't foresee a time when I won't want to do this because I love it. I love traveling around. I love going to hotels. I love on trains and planes. I love delivering the work. Now that view didn't really change. It's a brilliant job. But partly the situation, of course, has changed. But partly also, since I've become involved in acquiring businesses, I'm astounded at how few people have ever considered their exit. And what they do is they work really hard for 5, 10, 20, 30 years and then figure that their business will be worth money by virtue of the fact it's traded for that amount of time. And the harsh reality is that most of us don't really have a business, particularly sole traders, don't really have a business that's worth anything. What we have is a convenient tax wrapper to make us money. And therefore, we don't really have anything to sell. I think planning your exit and knowing what your business actually is that you can sell away from you 
is a crucial thing that every new business owner should consider. Amazing. No, I love that. That's, that's good. Uh, good bit of advice. So kind of moving out of, out of the, the kind of last part there into the final, final section of the show. So we're going to ask a question okay. from Christine Michaelis, our, our last guest. So Christine runs the, well, multiple business. She runs a, a business called Creative Startup Academy. She is uh, similar to yourself in a sense, a, a startup advisor uh, and coach. And she also runs the, the EU Startup Association connecting uh, startups and investors across across Europe. And so her question for you is who has been the biggest influence on your life and why? That's a really good question. Uh, it's quite a challenging question. I think if I have got to pick anybody or anything or a group or whatever, there's a range of different places or people or ideas I could go to. Um, and I'm aware of people that have helped and I'm aware of people that have really hindered me over the years. And I'm aware of people that have been massive supporters and I'm aware of people that have been not. Um, and I think if I had to, if I, okay, so if I've got to if I've pick someone who's been the biggest influence, I'm, I'm actually possibly quite predictably, I'm going to pick my sons. And my sons are 15 years old. And it means that when they were born my business had been i won't say established but it'd been rolling for for quite some time at that stage and i kind of felt like i knew what i was doing and how everything was going and one of the reasons in their early years that i loved my business and i was absolutely convinced it was the right way around was because unlike a lot of people who commute although i was sometimes away overnight staying in hotels or whatever i was often able to read them a story at bedtime i was often mm. able to be there for breakfast in the morning with them. I could often take midweek time off with them. And I'm really aware that a lot of people in normal, unquote, jobs don't have that opportunity, or, you know, not, not both partners. Mm. So yeah. I was, I, I think looking back, that was tremendously important for me to almost prove to myself that my business was a great choice. It made money and I liked doing it, but it meant I could have quality time in the early years of my son's Yeah. Kind of um, bought lives, bought things beyond money. You know, that's family time. You're not going to get that back, well, but that's kind of a powerful thing. Kind of you never get that time back. And so many, you know, so many professionals are out of the house at whatever time in the morning before their children have got up and they're yeah. back after their children have gone to bed. And although I was away some nights that, as I say, the off, the off, the, yeah. the balance of that was that I was there for other occasions. And I, I think that was so important to me to, to, to make me understand that my business was a good choice. Yeah. No, I love that. That's, that's a powerful answer for sure. And so all that remains, Graham, is to get a question from you for our next guest. So it could be anything that's on your mind. Uh, it doesn't have to be business related, but what do you want to know the answer to? Okay. Um, I think my, my question is this then. Why do so many people in your next guest's experience make excuses or put up barriers or stop doing or won't start doing things that it is absolutely obvious they need to change on. So why do so many of us have, whether it's a degree of apathy or in some cases hostility or resistance to making a change or to making a start or to changing course of direction. You see what I mean? Mm. So once somebody from outside has gone, here's what I would do, or here's what the entire market is telling you what to do. 
why do so many of us find it difficult to do that? Instead, we go, no, I'm going to stick to what I know, thank you, even though it's killing me. Yeah. That's no, my question. Yeah. That's a good one. I think, again, it brings back to the theme of change and um, resistance. Yeah. So, no, I love that. Well, Graham, well, that's it. Thank you so much for, for jumping on with us today. Really, really pleased to have you on. Thank you. That was absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed that. Even the tricky questions, that was great fun. Thank <laughs> you very much. Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch. And if you have a question you want answering, send it in to us using Anchor Voice Messages and you can feature in a future episode. All the links are in the description. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile.